Well, kia ora and welcome to one of the first episodes of the Hill Country Futures Partnership Program podcast series designed to equip New Zealand Hill Country farmers with decision-making tools and the best forage options in a whole farm system approach, which in turn future-proofs the profitability, sustainability and well-being of our pastoral farmers. I'm your host for this series, Sarah Perium lamp proud to support thriving Hill Country communities and a great way to kick it off is how this whole program come about. So over the next 30 minutes, we are going to have a panel discussion with the forefathers and foremothers of the research program. With me here in studio is on our panel from the Hill Country Futures Partnership, Dr. Susie Keeling, Professor Derek Moot and Dr. Catherine Dixon. So Hill Country farming in New Zealand, we know is facing unprecedented challenges from climate change and succession planning through to land use change and of course a wave of environmental regulations. So therefore over a five year program around $8.1 million co-funded by industry partners alongside Beef and Lamb New Zealand, Ministry for Business Innovation and Employment, PGG Rights and Seeds and Seed Force New Zealand, this research has been playing out for the last five years for in this podcast series us to dive into what has been a unique approach, traditional science research, farmer knowledge and social research and hence on the panel uh, across that how this research was designed. So to give you a bit of a background, Dr. Susie Keeling is the Sector Science Strategy Manager for Beef and Lamb New Zealand and has provided scientific oversight for the Hill Country Futures Partnership. Susie has a doctorate in environmental microbiology and has worked across scientific disciplines for 20 years with an extensive experience in leading and coordinating multidisciplinary scientific teams, making you perfect for this project, Susie. Professor Derek Moot is known to many in the Hill Country, of course, from the Department of Agricultural Science at Lincoln University, where he leads a dry lands pasture research program, coordinating the Lincoln Science team involved in three of the four themes in the Hill Country Futures program. A focus on using legumes such as lucerne to overcome nitrogen uh, deficiency in Hill Country farming, aiming to give farmers confidence to invest in appropriate legumes legume-based pastures for hill country areas with an initial estimate of yield potential. Some great uh, parts of the research that we will get into in this panel discussion, but there is future episodes we will dive even deeper into the work streams of this research program. And Dr. Catherine Dixon is our uh, senior researcher with an environmental management consultancy, Nature Positive, and was the team leader on the Hill Country Futures Resilient Farmers for Future programs. So this is around farmer wellbeing assessments, telling farmers stories, and Dr. Dixon has a doctorate in sustainable agriculture and landscape ecology. Uh, so many different hats across our three panellists. Welcome to you all. I'll start with you, Susie, as you've sort of been leading it from the beef and lamb perspective uh, and having that science oversight to the program. It's a massive undertaking, multidisciplinary research for those listening who aren't familiar around how to integrate the different approaches to science. And of course, the overarching question, why? 
So yeah, thanks for that great introduction, Sarah. Um, so I'd say like, you know, any multi-year program and also multidisciplinary program, it's evolved and adapted over time. You know, when the program started, you know, we had some core aims around thinking about future-proofing, profitability, sustainability, and well-being of our hill country farmers and also you know, their systems. Um, but we've had to be agile and adaptive and think about, well, you know, our farmers are, are farming in a changing landscape, but also the environment in which our farmers are now farming is, is changed. So we needed to think around what are those opportunities um, you know, that we could potentially take advantage of having this program and think about some of the different things that we could do. So when it started, I would say the program was very much focused on you know, the applied science of forages and how we think about building and developing the research that is going to inform decision-making on farm. But one of the key opportunities that this program presented was thinking about, well, who is this work for and what do we need to know about the farmers you know, that ultimately you know, we're hoping that this research is going to be useful for. So the program really lended itself to starting to have you know, a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations with farmers and helping us to understand what some of their challenges were, what their opportunities were, you know, and what their hopes for the future were. And so thinking about how you know, Beef and Lamb and the other co-funders could develop a program of work that not only supported you know, resilient foragers on farm, but then also thought about how do we help our farmers be resilient for some of the challenges that they're going to face in the future as well. And it's just been the most amazing program to be involved in. And also the diversity of you know, the scientists and the researchers involved the number of different disciplines that we've covered over the last five years has been pretty phenomenal. So it's been great. Derek, of course, you've led several research areas within this program, as well as in dryland pasture research at Lincoln over many years. This must have been a really exciting opportunity, though, to take resilient pastures and resilient farmers and blend it together. Yes, certainly, Sarah. Um, for me, it came at an opportune time. We were looking to try and continue the work that we'd been doing, and the funding opportunity came to, um, to to write up some of the case studies and some of the stories from the work that we'd been done, doing previously, but also to extend that into new environments and work with new farmers. So, yes, it was a great opportunity for us when it came along. And something I haven't seen before is citizen science, um, Catherine, and this is where we were talking about these resilient farmers. Uh, can you explain to us what matters most to Hill Country farmers in the survey that you've done across hundreds of interviewers? What matters most? Um, well, there were lots of themes that came out. There's obviously lots of challenges in the Hill Country at the moment. So we heard a lot about um, challenges with succession planning and with uh, uncertainty around new regulations that will be introduced um, and un uncertainty around land use prices. But I think it's important to recognise that we also heard a lot about the opportunities that are there for the Hill Country. And um, with with the uncertainty, there's also um, was some excitement about new opportunities, particularly in um, catchment scale initiatives, coming together with catchment groups, looking at different ways to use land use and seeing that there are some opportunities to combat, to, to be champions of the climate change uh, cause within hill country farming. And in, in the name, Hill Country Futures, uh, Susie, it's really obvious that we have this interconnection between resilient farmers and resilient foragers uh, contributing. But the overall goal of future-proofing our hill country is so much more. So 
where did the design of the research of the program start to really factor in what will future-proof the profitability, sustainability and well-being of our farmers? How did you go about that so they would all interconnect? Yeah, so I think as I mentioned earlier, we probably started with a core of your very focused forage-related science. But it soon, you know, well, I wouldn't say it soon became apparent, but it's quite obvious that within a farming system that forage is a core to, you know, I guess, you know, having, you know, providing good feed, good quality feed to animals. And if you don't have a reliable forage source, just the knock-on effects across a farming system can be quite significant. And it also you know, impacts on farmer well-being and, you know, and, and the stress, you know, of knowing whether or not they're going to be able to feed their animals and provide good quality feed and meet their objectives from a, you know, a farming business perspective. So it was making sure that we didn't actually view the forage component in isolation of how it needed to be integrated into a farming system. But it also hasn't been around just thinking around forages. It's also been, well, how else can we use the landscape potentially you know, differently? And we've had a component of the program which has looked at um, native plants in terms of alternative um, forage uh, source. And whilst they may not necessarily end up being used as a primary food source, knowing that they can enhance the biodiversity, you know, stabilise hill country. It just adds to that additional you know, farming system um, you know, component and thinking about what does that mean for a resilient future. And that's been one of the most exciting things about the program is thinking about how everything is connected within a farm system but also being able to take a step back and think around what are all the individual components that make up that farm system and where are some of the real key areas of, of focus that we can do some research that will hopefully put our farmers in a better position to be more resilient in the future. And so for us, the opportunity with the Hill Country Futures Program was around the foragers, but also the farmers, but thinking around what does resilience mean for, for both of those elements. Mm, absolutely. And throughout the series, we are going to be meeting with a lot of uh, the team that have been involved within the Hill Country Futures Program to dive a bit deeper into some of the topics that Susie mentioned. Derek, it, it displays, you know, into the the old days of spray and pray or drill and pray. Um, it's so important that we actually know what the right plant is and to plant where and for why, particularly in a changing climate. So can you tell us a little bit more about what you were most excited about the research and and how we've been able to communicate out which plant and where? Sure. Look, I mean, most people would identify me as being interested in East Coast dryland New Zealand and they'd associate me with lucerne and lucerne management. But the key from this project was to actually take that onto farms and measure the difference that it was making on farms. So previously we've we've suggested people do it, but here we wanted to really provide some hard data for people and show, um, which we have, that the improved forages were producing two to three times as much feed as the resident pasture. And that's a huge benefit to a farm. What it's doing is overcoming the main deficiencies on the farm and um, the main deficiency being a lack of nitrogen in the system. And we all know that um, nitrogen can be difficult if we're putting it on hill country. It's difficult to put it on. It's expensive. So how can we get it into the system and make the system work? So that's been the focus of the work that we've been doing. 
I just I just love this interconnection between you know um, the security of pasture and feed and and actually in terms of your personal well-being and, and mindset because they are so interlinked and uh, Catherine I understand there was like 170 was it farmer interviews so you, you did face that's a huge undertaking can you tell us about how your team went about uh, understanding what really motivates and the value systems of our hill country farmers. Yep, you're right. We did um, almost 170 interviews with farmers and those were face-to-face interviews. So our team went up and down the length of the country, up gravel roads all over the place to talk to farmers in their homes around their farm table and find out the issues that really mattered to them. Um, and we did that because if we're talking about the whole farm system, then you have to see farmers as central, vital to that system. And so we really wanted to understand, well, what's what's at the heart of this? What's What are the, the issues that matter to them? Derek, I'm going to come back to you in terms of uh, the wealth of resources that you've done in your previous research uh, over many years, but particularly the Hill Country Futures research streams. How did you pick how you what what uh, elements you really wanted to focus on, particularly within this five years? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, there was some work that was pretty well advanced that we wanted to get written up as case studies, and I think of the Bog Roy story that we wanted to get some financial data out there for people so they could get more confidence to do things. But we also wanted to extend to the the summer moist or rain fed areas that we wouldn't traditionally work in. So we worked at Inverary Station where it's wetter, um, looked at red clovers opportunity there. So we were trying to extend the principles that we'd learned out of the dry land for the last 15 or 20 years into other regions of the country. A lot of people, when I've been driving up driveways, have been saying to me, yeah, that's okay for Hawke's Bay, but what about me? So it was that opportunity to go, what about me in you know areas um, like Manawatu and Waika- uh, the Waikato and places like that that were important to me. Because at the end of the day, Susie, we have a changing climate, both regulatory climate uh, and physical climate. And so what has worked in the past in the Hill Country isn't for the future. This is about setting us up and future-proofing our systems, right? Yeah, yeah and I think it's, you know, we think about that farming systems need to readily adapt to changing climates and different external pressures. And in the same parallel, so does research. So research can't stand still and think that what was valid 20 years ago is necessarily valid now. So one of the opportunities for Beef and Lamb and the other co-funders and the researchers in this program is thinking about how can we get ahead so you don't always get it right when you think about, you know, what's what's the emerging risks and opportunities, but you can actually identify, you know, patterns and think about what is likely to happen. And so that was part of some of the scenarios that we were looking to test within the program so that we're, you know, we're in a fairly solid place, you know, preparedness, if you like, I guess, in terms of a word. But, you know, if you, you need good preparedness um, in order to be resilient. But part of it was, you know, where do we actually need to focus and where do we need to prioritise? Because you can't do everything within a five-year program and a finite budget. And so for us, the opportunity was thinking around, well, we know there's challenges with nitrogen. So therefore, you know, the opportunity lends itself to legumes. And, you know, and how can we build additional data to support that decision making? But then likewise, you know, the work that, you know, Catherine you know, mentioned, that hasn't been done before in terms of you know, that many conversations, you know, one-on-one with farmers and focus groups, actually sitting down and having, you know, a chat over a cup of tea and building that extensive database. It's so impressive. 
you know, to actually have that as a resource as an, and as an achievement of the program. But not only that, all of those conversations, whilst they might have been through you know, numerous individuals, as a collective, they really helped shape the direction of the program. So at its core, you know, this program was, you know, heavily directed and influenced by all the engagements, you know, that we've had with farmers, whether it's through, you know, the field sites that we had located across the country, which I think there's about 18. Um, you're doing different combinations of forages all the way through to all the interviews um, that were done. And then all, you know, the testing of, you know, the, I guess, you know, the wellbeing tool that the program has produced, going back and having conversations and, you know, validating, you know, our thoughts and our findings to always check in to make sure they still had, you know, really good relevance and applicability for farmers. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting what you're saying there about patterns emerging, Catherine. There was, there must be with that sort of data set of co- and interviews themes emerging in terms of the feedback farmers were saying, what sort of real standout elements around their own personal resilience and their business resilience? Oh, there's certainly lots of themes emerging. Um one of one of the key themes actually was around um, succession, getting young people onto farm and resilience around that. Um, people who had planned for that, but of course, because the farming landscape has changed, the plans that they may have created ten or fifteen years ago haven't really necessarily stood up to the future. So we had a lot of conversations around that: how you plan for succession um, when the the future is changing in front of you. Um, Oh, we have many themes. There's environmental themes, um, talking about water quality. I think we asked all of our farmers and also the rural professionals and academics that we interviewed as well, because as well, in addition to the 170 interviews with farmers, we also interviewed over 100 sort of other people working in the industry. Um, we asked them about their best vision for the future, what they would, where they would like to see hill country. Uh, farming going, how what, what would be their utopia view, like their best outcome for hill country farming. And that the themes across the board there were surprisingly similar. So we had, you know, good environmental outcomes, good social outcomes, profitable, profitable farming business, thriving rural communities. So no new news in a way, but what was reassuring, I think, is that, that there was a real um, similarity across the board of what people want for the best hill country farming future. How we get there is another thing. And everybody, you know, has their own individual context and their own individual situation and their ability to move because of that, you know. But um, this overarching vision was very similar, very clear. I think what uh, one of the real standouts for me, Derek, from the program was the development of ag yields and rural professionals that haven't been in the sector for 20, 30, 40 years won't know of all of that past research that's been done in some of these areas and to just curate has been such a huge thing. I'm sure you'd be really proud of being a legacy element. So that's a source. Sarah, I didn't like the way you were saying 40 years as you went through that and looked at me, but that's okay. Um, but it's getting close, you know, and you're right. And so part of that was me thinking, well, what happens to all the data when I'm no longer involved? And so the Ag Yields database really came out of that thought. There was work done 15 years ago that I knew about, but no one else did. And so I was sitting there going, well, why not? Okay, what can we do about it? So the Ag Yields database is um, the repository. It's being held as a public repository at Lincoln University. So anyone can um, log on to it and find out information from 
published and unpublished data on pasture growth rates in their region. So I'm hoping that that's a resource that farmers who have collected their own data might be interested in putting um, that information into the database. They're more than welcome to do so. But also um, other funding organisations and uh, future funding organisations make it a, a requirement that we put the data into one place so that in future we're not going back and looking and saying, well, we did that 20 years ago. What did we find? We actually know and it's sitting there in the database. So, And it's yeah, incre- it incredible too in terms of generations of knowledge lost. Potentially we need to come back to some of the fundamentals that we knew 20 years ago. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. We had a lot of people 25, 30 years ago out cutting pasture cages in different parts of New Zealand. Some of it got published, but not all of it. And when people heard we were doing this, we actually had one example come out of the Bay of Plenty where someone had been collecting data for 20 years. That person had died, but all their notebooks were sitting in a shed. So we took that data and digitised it, and now we've put that data into um, ag yield. So there's a really good data set on different farms, sheep and beef, dairy, um, from all over the Bay of Plenty region, which would have been lost. We didn't know anything about it, but just word of mouth that we were putting the uh, database together, and all of a sudden we've got a, a great data set out of that region. It's really citizen science, isn't it? (laughs) And being able to um, collaborate and pull it together. It's not just from our institutions and uh, that we can do that. That's absolutely fabulous. Susie, of course, we're doing this podcast series and we've got a whole bunch of episodes uh, to come where we dive deeper into the likes of what we just heard there from Derek. But how important is it to get the science out to the farming community uh, and actually empower them to be able to make their own decisions? So I think there's probably two aspects to that, you know, as I guess someone who's been you know, trained as a scientist and worked as one for a very long time, you know, we're always really focused on making sure, you know, that the science is defendable and it's robust and it's transparent and that it's been peer reviewed. So that certainly was, you know, a key focus of the program of having those opportunities for publication in peer reviewed journals. But by the same token, um, often that information isn't necessarily easy, easily digestible and it takes a long time. You know, to potentially pull out the bits and pieces that you might be interested in. So one of the key functions of the program was thinking, how could we deliver that information to farmers in packages of information that was useful and also to rural professionals as well, so that it went beyond a manuscript or beyond a report. And you know, part of it has been you know, working you know, really closely with the, you know, the comms team in terms of raising you know, the awareness and the knowledge and the information produced by the program so that it does go a bit further and that we do have that visibility and awareness. And so perhaps then next time somebody is thinking about you know, making a forage selection, you know, they're aware of like ag yields or some of the different models you know, that the program has produced. Or perhaps there's a rural professional that's looking to run a wellbeing workshop and, you know, they'll think about, you know, Farm Salus, which is one of the wellbeing tools that was produced by the program and actually having more of that kind of hands-on applied science. So in the hands of, of farmers and rural professionals so that it's actually really, I don't know, readily accessible and it's, it's got the utility of being able to be picked up and used rather than necessarily needing to wade through a 100-page report. Was there some of the discussions with the co-funders initially, Susie, about the outcomes being different than just published reports? Um, it was always something that we were fairly adamant of up front. I mean, from my years as a scientist, that's always been something that I've been really passionate about. I've never been an academic scientist, shall we say. I've always been more about 
hands-on applied, wanting to work with the end user to make sure that the science that we're doing is worthwhile and that it's useful and that it has a home. So that was something that we were quite clear about um, up front and I certainly know that the project team had those goals as well. But you also have to balance and acknowledge that there is that you know, two-pronged approach when it comes to science around being able to defend it and making sure it's got the integrity that it needs. And so it needs to go through you know, independent peer review process. But there is also making sure that the science just doesn't sit on a shelf and it's got, um, that it's accessible. And we want people to be engaged and enthusiastic and interested in the science. Mm. And so you do have to think around, you know, adding images, you know, to reports. And I mean, it it sounds sort of, you know, trivial, but it's not until you see the comparison perhaps of, you know, a fact sheet that is just all writing versus one that is looking to deliver the messages through, through images. Because often, you know, regardless of people's backgrounds, you know, the message from an image, you know, can create, you know, a greater impact than words can. So, you know, we've been thinking about those opportunities. And early on in the program, we actually did um, an animated video, which looked to explain kind of the program at a high level. And that was a new approach, you know, that we tested and evaluated as, you know, how do you kind of condense all of these different work streams and, you know, a five-year program into, you know, like a seven-minute you know, <laughs> package of information and, you know, that was certainly months of work to produce that as an outcome. But, you know, we've been thinking about, you know, all those different opportunities. Yeah. Derek, um, the extension work that you've done around your science, providing case studies like you just mentioned there before with Bog Roy being a real um, uh, showpiece for that, has resonated with farmers. But you did also mention there that uh, the, the context of replicating it is not necessarily. So therefore, with this new approach to science extension, taking it to the next level, what does it look like where farmers actually build the tools to understand how to see something in their context? I think for most, it it varies depending on the farmer, but for many of them, it's hearing from farmers about their success. And that's part of what this program has done. The field days and things like that have been actually getting onto people's land and showing people what others have done and that's you know, that farmer to farmer contact is really important where people like me just become the conduit and explain to some of the technical aspects of it. But um, I think farmers learn a lot from farmers. And so seeing successful models is pretty important, hence the idea of writing up the case studies and, and making short videos about um, different aspects of the, the program that we're, we've made accessible to people. So I think that's a, been a really key part of trying to transfer knowledge to, to others. Um, for, Susie mentioned it, but our credibility is based on the science publications. But as a, a scientist in the applied space, it doesn't really mean very much if it doesn't actually get out and make a difference. And that's really what we've been trying to do with this program. I, I guess being at the university, it um, keeps you fairly grounded because you've got a new cohort of students coming every year who have got no background. And so you've got to continually keep your feet on the ground and explain to them. And that's very much the same as going out and doing um, extension or tech transfer work with farming groups. Mm. And uh, Catherine, diving into some of the demands that farmers really told you through the survey that they wanted their stories told. And what's really interesting, picking off what Derek said, is not necessarily to the, through the mainstream media. It's actually sometimes to each other. Yeah, that's very true. I really like what Derek said there about uh, 
you know, research doesn't mean anything if it doesn't make a difference. And I think um, we had done this fantastic amount of um, farmer interviews, and that's a real privilege. And I think we wanted to honour that privilege by um, honouring the requests that had come through farmers and the, the things that they had, the sentiments that they told us, and one of which very strongly was, we want our stories told. And there were two elements to that. One was, um, we want our stories told because we want to show the good work that is being done on hill country farms. And we want to combat some of these more negative media stories that the farmers really felt was just representing a very small portion of their industry. And they wanted to say, look, you know, we're doing good work here. We want that showcase. Why isn't that being showcased in the mainstream media? Yeah. And the other element, as you say, was more that farmer to farmer learning. They wanted to to showcase work so that they could teach and share and others could learn from it. And so we've been doing that. I think it was always, Susie can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think it was always um, going to be an output of the Whole Country Futures Programme to share stories and showcase stories. But I think we've upped that um, and have put more emphasis on that because of the responses and feedback we got in those farmer interviews. And I don't want to dive too much further in because, of course, the whole point of the podcast series is that these individual episodes, we can cover off the elements, which, of course, are on hillcountryfutures.co.nz, as well as the Beef and Lamb Knowledge Hub as well. But I lastly would just like to wrap with each of you on our panel. Where to from here? Uh, What your words of wisdom are to farmers and rural professionals listening to utilize this um, and and what's been a real great insight that you never thought was going, going to come out of the research too, Susie. You put me on the spot there. <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of what I would say to farmers and rural professionals, it would be around thinking around what the different components of your farm system are and where potentially some of the challenges are and then looking to see if there might be some resources or information that have been produced by the program that might help you tackle things a little bit differently or think about it from a different perspective. That would be, you know, something which would be, uh, you know, just amazing, you know, to have that kind of level of uptake, to have the recognition of like after all this time we've packaged it together and now here are the different opportunities for different farm systems and that not everything is kind of, in a nice square box that it is around what's that flexibility to integrate different approaches across a farm system. In terms of one of the biggest surprises for me is probably around the level of trust and respect and the privilege from all of the farmers who agreed to be involved in the program and just the magnitude of that. Like when we started on the exercise of thinking, you know, how are we going to engage with you know, all these different farmers from different perspectives and different backgrounds. It was really quite challenging at the beginning. And then once it kind of built that momentum and the team used its networks to establish all of its different connections and different communities, it was just amazing to think that all these people were willing to give up their time to have a chat with us and talk about some often at times hard things, but also around their passion and pride, you know, for, for being a farmer. And for me, it's like that was just amazing to hear that and also a real privilege to know that I'm part of a sector that has so much passion mm-hmm. and love for their landscapes and respect for their animals and, you know, and their overall well-being. That was amazing. Catherine, for you, what were some of the standout 
things that you surprised you from all of these interviews in this one-on-one time with farmers, as well as urging people listening to to take this f- further forward? I think one of the standout things for me is a is a desire to be heard and be understood, um, and with that comes a desire. We often heard the phrase "close the gap" or "closing the gap." They wanted to close the gap between the urban and rural, um, and actually we heard that vice versa. So. Uh, Pretty much everybody we interviewed, be it somebody working in a ministry in Wellington or somebody working as a farmer, wanted to be understood and wanted their viewpoint to be understood. And I think my takeaway was people are coming from a place of good intent. They're they're making decisions with the information. And so context matters. And so I think the more conversations we can get going across the divide, if you like, or across the different parts of the system. And if we can view, you know, hill country farming as a system and keep those stories flowing, keep the conversations flowing and close that distance, that's got to build resilience. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so my take-home message would be context really matters. And for the farmers, you know, your well-being and your health does matter. So you, you know, do think about your whole farm system, your farm environment, your farm business, um, your support networks. But most importantly, think about yourself. Build your own resilience. Very special, uh, Derek. Just to follow, be proud of what you're doing. I think the the key message for me is that farmers should be proud of what they're doing. And... um, what we've tried to do is give them science to be able to challenge management and, and get them thinking. So offer them some hope, offer them some opportunity, and offer them some models that they can follow in terms of um, case studies and things that they can look at. So I think the the surprising thing for me was really being able to look at sort of some of the 30-year data sets and look at what the sector's achieved over 30 years. And I think they should be really proud of uh, you know our reduction in greenhouse gas emissions, yeah. Our ability to adapt to the fact that we've lost a lot of the flat land to the dairy system and dairy support and how we've adapted our farm systems to be able to cope with that. And I think um, the professionalism of the farmers is is without question and they'll continue to um, be successful. And, and hopefully the Hill Country Futures Program offers them some some ways and some methods forward and how they can continue to be so. A great way to round up there. And I mean, for me, what I've summarised from this discussion is that thriving hill country communities uh, of of our resilient farmers really uh, comes from the ability to adapt. And the Hill Country's Futures Programme has been able to showcase not just your observations, but actually creating you, you uh, creating very usable tools for that adaption. And that's what will take us forward to future-proof our hill country. And I'm so excited about the hard work that you've just done over the last five years. Thank you so much to each and every one of you on our panel. This is part of a wider podcast series of Hill Country Futures Partnership Programme, which is a wrap of the $8.1 million research programme co-funded by Beef and Lamb New Zealand, Ministry for Business, Innovation and Employment, PGG Rights and Seeds and Seed Force New Zealand. For more information, visit hillcountryfutures.co.nz. And of course, the Beef and Lamb New Zealand Knowledge Hub is huge with heaps of resources online as well. Namahi nui.